and welcome to Pedro Pascal, the Pedro Pascal podcast. I am your co-host, Rachel Leishman, uh, Katrina Dennis. My other co-host cannot be with us. So instead, I have the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful TJ from Agents of Fandom here to talk about the most recent episode of The Mandalorian. TJ, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, ready to talk as much as possible, just in case your voice gives out on you. I'm so jealous that Star Wars Celebration uh, looked so amazing, uh, where, of course, you were this weekend. But I'm ready to uh, talk some Pedro, talk some Mandalorian, because uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I feel like I made it. I, I made it in this industry now that I'm on Padre Pascal. And you're, you are correct. You are going to have to do a lot of talking because I don't know how much his voice is going to hold out. Because as TJ said, I was at Star Wars Celebration, which if you guys recall, the last time I went to Star Wars Celebration, this exact same thing happened because I get really excited and I yell. And I talk a lot um, and I don't drink water like I'm supposed to. And it just eventually completely takes my voice out, which is where I am today. TJ, so you, you're you a big head honcho over in Agents of Fandom. Explain to the people who might not know what Agents of Fandom is and what you guys do. So about a year and a half ago, myself and two others by the name of Garrett Blaney and Ruben Rapalda, we answered an ad for a website in the industry that was looking for some social media help. And we kind of met there and... Realized decently quick that we didn't uh, like too many things about how things were handled there, but we really liked each other. And so we decided to uh, start up our own thing called the Agents of Fandom, agentsoffandom.com. And we began as just like coverage of Star Wars and Marvel and DC. We had a podcast. We started up a website. That was about it. And then since our launch a year ago... We have 30 people on our team now, and they're all just so wonderfully incredible. You got to hang out with some of them in London, um, and just we've expanded. It's not only are we doing things like sports and music, but anything you find on TV uh, or in the movie theater, we're going to be covering, and we got fantastic people doing it. And so it's been a whirlwind how fast it's kind of exploded, but it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, you guys are everywhere. Rules. Makes me very happy. I'm like, wait. There they are. There's everybody. Um, and I mean, uh, we'll chat. We'll ch- we'll chat more. But hopefully, hopefully there we are, Rachel. Hopefully there we are. We are. <laughs> that's that's y'all will know later. But that, hopefully. Um. But yeah. So we are here to talk about episode seven of The Mandalorian, uh, titled "The Spies," which we know we're behind. I don't know when Ashley's gonna edit which order. I know episode six is also coming out at the same time episode seven is for us. Again, I was at Star Wars Celebration. You got to cut me some slack. But uh, episode seven is The Spies, which takes place pretty much right after episode six. Um, And so, TJ, what did you think of this episode as a whole in the grand scheme of this season? There's a spider on the floor, and so I need you to know that I am sacrificing everything to keep my eyes on the camera and give this thought, and maybe that spider is going to get away, and I can only hope that I'll turn into Spider-Man or something if it ends up coming and biting me because I'm, I'm terrified right now, but I'm going to fight through the adversity. This was a phenomenal episode. 
like it really tied everything together from like we had some episodes early in the in the season that although i really enjoyed them they did feel a little out of place like episode three they go mm-hmm. from hype mandalorian stuff mythosaur to random empire characters we haven't seen for a while to tell this story and we realize now why that story is important why they had to get parts of it out but um at the time it felt a little bit out of place and i'm really happy that they just kind of tied it in a bow in a beautiful way here in the penultimate episode it made me want to fist bump it made me gasp exciting throughouts with massive implications for the star wars universe and for our little din and our little grogu and so uh super exciting episode i loved it yeah i mean this is the one so wednesday before star wars celebration they showed us or we got the episode with lizzo and jack black and then we got on thursday no days on friday we got to see the scene with moff gideon um first and then on the s- re- that evening, they said, oh, wait till you're done, TJ. TJ killed it. I got him. He's gone. Um, but on, so on Wednesday, we had the Jack Black episode of last week. On Friday, during the panel, we saw the, that Moff Gideon scene from the first part of this episode. They showed that at the Lucasfilm panel. And then they said, come back at six and you'll see the whole episode. So we saw that episode at Star Wars Celebration and just had to sit on it um, for however many days. We couldn't talk about it. It was embargoed. So it's great to, like that other people have seen it because we were all like, what does this mean? So much shit went down. And we just had to sit there like, Grogu has legs. Um, but it is one of those episodes that I think like, does a really good job of, of keeping you on your toes, setting you up for the finale. You kind of understand, like, what the goal is. Like, obviously, Bo and the armor and Grogu are going to try and go save Din. But I, I do like the setup. Um, and so before we get into the meat of the episode, what did you think after the Jack Black Lizzo episode was going to happen as the, like, here's where the rest of this season will go? So it made, like, I feel like I liked the Jack Black Lizzo episode more than most people did. Like, to me, this season, yeah, like, to me, season three has basically followed the exact same format as season one. Episodes one through six are a mission of the week. Episode seven introduces Moff Gideon. Um, And so to get this in episode six, while it felt a little bit late, I really enjoyed it. I love the Jack Black and Lizzo cameos. And it made sense that they needed to go recruit some more Mandalorians. And so getting Mm -hmm. um, them as part of the squad has has been nice. And the one kind of question from this season that I felt like, this doesn't make sense. Like, I get that the storyline of this season is not as Din and Grogu focused. It's on the rebuilding of Mandalore and the entire planet, the entire people, um, with Bo-Katan being uh, alongside them as kind of the co-leads. And I've enjoyed the storylines and I felt like the foreshadowing is leading to a point except for one that I didn't get. And that was Eli Kane, played by Katie O'Brien, Gentora and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Loved her there. When they did this kind of story in episode three, I kept coming back to, well, if she's still working for Moff Gideon, he's still out there. That's what we're assuming at this point. 
why the hell are they frying his brain? Because he was he was working for them. Do they not want this information again? We know they're talking so much about cloning. We know this time period of Star Wars is kind of filling in the gaps of, well, where did Snoke come from? How did Palpatine come back? (laughs) They gave us this line of somehow Palpatine returned. Well, how? That's kind of what they got to tell us now. Um, And so that was the part I didn't get was why would Moff Gideon be erasing his brain if he's with the Empire and they obviously need this stuff? And they revealed today with the Shadow Council with uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn being name-dropped in, Ma- in Mandalorian for the first time since uh, Ahsoka said his name. They don't like each other. Moff Gideon and Grand Admiral Thrawn don't like each other. Grand Admiral Thrawn, the heir to the Empire, in my opinion, the most sinister and devious villain that Star Wars has kind of ever shown us. Moff Gideon doesn't like him. He's threatened by him. He doesn't even know if he's really out there. He might just be a myth. Okay. And so that answered my biggest question of the entire season this episode. And I was so happy that they kind of filled me in because I honestly had no idea. Yeah, and in that scene you're talking about, Moff Gideon says to um, Rendell Hux, that's your Daddy thing. Hux. He says, which is Domino Gleason's brother, which I do love. I was in... When they showed that the Lucasfilm panel, I like cackled and people were like looking at me. And I finally was like, that's, that's Brian Gleason. That's Domino's brother. That's Brendan Gleason's other son. Like, it's funny because they're related. Like, they're legitimately related to each other. I do. Like, he pushes the cloning stuff away. So it was like, oh, the cloning stuff that Dr. Pershing wanted to do was never really what Moff Gideon wanted. Moff Gideon wanted to know what Grogu's deal was, not necessarily to clone him, which I think is kind of fascinating to unpack. And they he was chilling on Mandalore the whole time. This guy's been there. Like, that's crazy. He's been going at this stuff for a while. And so that's why I do want to uh, kind of dive more into what you said earlier about who is going to be coming to save Din and potentially where uh, episode nine is or episode eight, nine, nine, eight, eight, eight. Uh, where episode. Yeah. Where episode eight is going to be going here because I think we're in for a lot of chaos uh, in this final episode and I'm excited, but that was the other big, like mind blowing thing to me, to me is like, where has he been this whole time? Where is he getting all of these resources? Well, he's been chilling on Mandalore the entire time. Yeah. And in a way that like, so when Din was there, Moff Gideon was there. Like, they could have figured that out, but he was so in his own head about being, like, redeemed that he didn't even recognize that, like, hey, seems weird. Like, seems like maybe other people are here. And, so episode, like, as we saw this episode, too, like, multiple other people are there. There's been Mandalorians there the entire time, which kind of makes me wonder... Moff Gideon can't be working alone here. There's some, there's got to be some people on the inside. No. And like, it's one of those things too, where I wanted to be like, why did the Mandalorians leave Beskar? He got Beskar from Mandalore. So it was still there. So you guys didn't think like, oh, hey, maybe we should figure that out before someone takes the one thing that makes Mandalorians Mandalorians. The math ain't nothing. Like I was like, why would you guys just like abandon that aspect of Mandalore? when you fled, because now, like, yeah, Moff Gideon has fucking Baskar. I, okay, I'm not even going to beat around it anymore because I just want to talk about it. 
they're building this armor. This isn't easy to do. Yeah. There's some horns on that little uh, on that little helmet he's got going here. It's peculiar that right before Din gets uh, gets captured and uh, all this is going down, who's the f- first people to say that they're going to go back to the ship? Who's the first person that kind of disappears? It's the armor. Has she been? Is this not a change of heart? And her just being like, "Ooh, Bo-Katan, I like you now. You're a good leader." Is this just the armorer? setting up Bo-Katan, Din, and that entire group of Mandalorians, setting them up and gifting them to uh, to Moff Gideon. Maybe. I think, um, yeah, it is interesting. Like, she was like, oh, I'll go. You were one of the first to, like, volunteer. So, like, it's just weird. So, like, to backtrack a little, so obviously we have that first scene, Moff Gideon's doing this cool little, it starts with Elliot Kane walking through Coruscant, Gets a transmission from Moff Gideon. She's explaining to Moff Gideon what happened on Navarro. She's like, uh, Empire didn't help. The Mandalorians did. And Moff Gideon's pissed about it. So he's walking down this hallway, which is, it's so cool because it's so Empire, but also like, just like a cool Star Wars shot. That he's walking down and the red things are dropping as he's walking. It was just very cool to see. Um, and he walks into this council. They're all talking. He insults Hux. He's like, pissed because Thrawn's not there. And he's like, oh, well, like, where's Thrawn? Keep bringing him up. And Thrawn's uh, homie is like, but we're keeping him in hiding. But they keep saying his name. That's what I don't get. Is they're like, we don't want people to know. I'm like, but you've said his name a hundred fucking times. And Mob Gideon says to you, I've heard I've heard rumors from all around the galaxy, never about Thrawn. That should have been enough when he's like, I've never heard Thrawn's name, and all you do is fucking say his name. So clearly, it's not getting out from here, because someone would have turned around and said, oh, Thrawn's back. Which I think is very funny. I do like that. The Moff Gideon's like, you're full of bullshit. Well, what's, what I love about it, too, is that, like, one person's heard is one person's out there looking for him. One person said his name uh, with Ahsoka searching for him. But what I do find so interesting too is obviously now that we know, I saw I saw a tweet about this today. I I apologize to the person who posted it because I don't remember who it was, but somebody was just saying like, what if Thrawn doesn't even like know who Moff Gideon is? Like, what if he's just like or knows who he is, but is just like irrelevant to him? Like, this is just a pawn. In, in in Thrawn's game and, and Moff Gideon's like, it's me versus him. One of us is going to be like the guy who leads the Empire. And Thrawn's like, who? You're who? You're, you? you're, you're who? You're who? Sorry. You did what to Mandalorian culture and just like wipe him off the board. That would be that would be so wild if it's not it's not the Mandalorians and Grogu who end up saving Din. It's Thrawn who just like beats the shit out of Moff Gideon's forces. I mean, it'd be a cool way of bringing the character in prior to Ahsoka, too. Like, have him be there just making fun of Moff Gideon or how he views him, which fits with Moff Gideon's character, too, because he's like, I'm important. Are you? You're nowhere in the future. None of us have seen Moff Gideon. So it's like, where? what happens to you? That is like that first section. And then it goes into Din and... This is why I love the Mandalorian. Din and Bo, Lando Navarro, 
they drop off all of the new Mandalorians. And then you can already tell that they're kind of like, I don't think this is going to work. Like, it is instantaneous. They get a home. They're part of their home. And then they're like, Kitty. Shadow's here. Shadow. Benji, come here. <laughs> Benji's not moving. Benji's at the end of my bed. It is very funny that the Mandalorians have a home finally, but it's not good enough. Like, there's stuff that happens in between, and we'll get to that. But I do love that they land back on Navarro. They bring everyone to Navarro, and it lasts for 2.5 seconds. They're just like, Th- never mind, we're good. This place is great to meet and talk about that we're never going to stay here. It's so stupid. Like, it's truly like, why? Why would you try that when you could instead just stay on Navarro and have a job? Yeah, exactly. Like, so, like, so it's it's a lot of convenience that kind of leads me to somebody's got to be a mole. Because it takes us back to, with, like, obviously the, the two other, like, big aspects of the episode is the end, what happens to Din. Uh, but, of course, what Grogu's uh, change in scenery for uh, the episode. But... Um, that's kind of what's crazy is like when Moff Gideon strikes down Din and like rips him all apart. Like obviously, yes, he could see there that the dark saber isn't on him, but how does he know that Bo-Katan specifically is the one with the dark saber at this point? That would be information that he wouldn't have come across, and so maybe that's just a great assumption on his part. But you kind of feel like he's got somebody on the inside, and that was kind of one of the ways that he accidentally let it slip, and so going back to Mandalore so quick, that could be kind of partially uh, partially escalated from somebody on the inside being like, yes, let's go to Moff Gideon so we can take all, all this side of Mandalorian uh, culture that I don't like right out. It's just one of those things where I'm like, oh, it's weird. It's so quick that I think you're right. Like there has to be something going on because it's so fast when they get back to Navarro that it doesn't make any sense for them to otherwise leave but before they leave now tj is another animal this is obi-wan he always loves coming in for star wars talk hey obi-wan welcome you have to pick a stash of the week before they like leave navarro grief karga is like hey i have something for you didn't follow me and they go upstairs to grief karga's office where this man has decided to give grogu an absolutely insane gift so it starts with like grogu sitting on this table he's like why am i here and then he learns as he terrorizes a fucking anzellan like, bad baby yeah i feel bad for the anzellans because i just, love that they just call them bad baby <laughs> they're just constantly in fear so what grief karga did was make ig11 basically <laughs> a car ig11 is Grogu's car now, where he walks around Navarro, stealing some shit, like, destroying fruit, and then, like, just walks around in IG-11 and uses the, like, yes and no buttons to torment Din Djarin. Yes, Um, yes, no, no, no. I like, I like it. I think it's very funny. I do think it's impractical, because there are moments... When Grogu is behind everybody else, and Din goes, okay, you're going to have to keep up. And it's like, how? How do you expect him to keep up? Press the run button. What? Yeah, like, what do you think? 
IG-11 is going to be like, whoosh, and just like go fly. It's crazy. This is funny, too, because uh, there was somebody in the Agents of Fandom group chat the other day that wasn't as familiar with Star Wars as a few others. So at that they asked the question, are droids like alive in the Star Wars universe? And it was hilarious because myself and somebody else on the team and uh, we've gone back and forth about this so much that I'm not even going to name drop them because they're amazing and I don't want them to think I'm calling them out. Um, but at the exact same time, I was like, of course not. And they were like, absolutely, yes. And I was like, wait a minute. And like the thing I essentially boiled it, bo- like brought it down to was, well, can droids use the force? Does, does the force exist within droids? Well, no. Well, the force exists within every living being, 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 <laughs> the force exists within every living being. And so if it's not in droids, they're, they're not alive. And I feel like at least Dave Filoni and John Favreau must agree with me here because Grogu's ro- running around in a hollowed out IG-11. It is now IG-12. Uh, and he's just running around hammering his yeses and his nose, swatting Din's hand away. Like, whether or not you kind of like the the writing choices of like, man, why can't Grogu just power up on his own? Why can't he just start start talking and uh, run around? Why can't he do more? This was hilarious. I don't care. I this, this was absolutely hilarious. I've never laughed so hard. I, I've awed and giggled and chuckled at Grogu a billion times. But that was the hardest I've ever laughed at anything he's done in three seasons of The Mandalorian. It was genuinely one of the funniest things ever. Like, when Din goes, okay, get out, and he's just like, no. And then it just turns into him going, yes, 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 when they're walking down the street. I was just like, he's lost his damn mind. Grogu was like, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And And Din, this isn't working for me. Yeah, he's like, no, hate it. But it also, like, gives us a cute little insight into their relationship where Din's just like, this isn't working. And Grogu's like, yeah, it is, bye. And just, like, <laughs> running down the street. It's like, I am going to guide you as best I can, but at the end of the day, you're going to do whatever the fuck you want, and I know it. <laughs> yep. Um, and I love it so, so, so much. It does lead to, that's what Grogu is, like, rocking when they go to Mandalore. So, like, the Mandalorians go and have a feast, which is the children of the Watch are just sitting and watching them eat because they can't eat if they're around. But Bo-Katan's clan is like, all right, we need to go to Mandalore. We're Mandalorians. And they all agree. And so then it becomes, like, a who will go with me, Bo-Katan, to Mandalore in the first, like, group. And Din volunteers himself and Grogu, who stands up on a rock to be like, yes, I'm going to go. But he was sitting down and he stands up to like nod, which I think is the funniest shit I've ever seen. Because he's just like, yes, I'll go. <laughs> it's this big. It's the tiniest thing I've ever seen. The voyage did bring me one of my favorite moments of the episode, though, when Paz Vizsla and Axe Wolves, they're, they're playing their their chess game and we've all had that moment before with somebody where they like, they don't come from the same city as you or something. And you're playing a game, like a game of cards or you're playing beer pong or something like that. And you're, and they just like throw out a rule that they're like, and you're like, what the fuck? Absolutely not. You just, 
Why would you get three cups because you almost missed and got lucky and it bounced in this cup? Get out of here. You don't know how to play beer pong. We've had like that moment before with somebody in some kind of game. And so that was funny seeing them go at it. But when they really started going at it and they start fighting each other and Bo-Katan like decides like, I, I can't step in. What am I going to do? And Grogu separates them. He's like, yeah. enough. Bitch, we're supposed to be together. Like we're leaving this behind. He says, no. I, I no. loved it so much. No, 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 no. Uh, so what happens is they all leave Navarro. They fly. Grogu's flying with the ladies. And all the Mandalorian drop down. They're like, what's going on? And they see a pirate ship coming towards them. Um, <clears throat> which is like Mandalorians who never left. And they were like, oh, Bo-Katan, we knew you wouldn't leave us. And so they all get on this ship together, which is when Paz Vizsla and... Axe Wolves have this like brawl over a fucking game. And then Paz Vizsla has this like knife that's like toxic masculinity at its finest. It's crazy. Um, obviously the fight ends with Grogu. And then as they are going to leave, or like they're going to like the next thing, they start getting attacked by like not really Mandalorians. Because I think it's Bogatan who was like, those are like, who are these Mandalorians or something? Like, someone realizes that those are not allies, those are not Mandalorians that they know. And so they all run into this cave. Because, listen, I love the Mandalorians, but they are the dumbest individuals I have ever met in my entire life. Like, they're this, they're so stupid. They're like, oh, we have to hide. Let's go into this cave. That's what I love is like, every time somebody like brings up an argument where it's like why do you guys live here it's so dangerous why would you do this it's so stupid there's precedent there's precedent about of them being dumb and so you just have to go with it because they are brawn not brains most of the time Satine's not there Bo-Katan is here being the brains of this operation we bring this back to the Clone Wars she was not the brains. She was the brawn. She was the muscle. She hit first and asked questions later. And now she's the one trying to be like, can we all be level-headed here? Can we all just be calm and think things through? This is like, this is the somebody who was the polar opposite trying to bring things together. This is the kid in the kid in elementary school and high school who was an absolute terror and then decides to be a teacher. And then mm -hmm. they get there and they're like, oh fuck, was that me? That's like, that's Bo in this situation because that is what she was like when her sister Satine was out here trying to rule everything peacefully and sensefully. And now all these warriors are left and they're just like, what? Fight? No? Hide. Cave. And it's just like, I get it on the one hand. I'm like, yeah, go to the cave. We're trying to find cover. Sure. But then they just like keep going. And when shit goes wrong, they're like, how did that happen? You went into a cave. The last time you guys went into a cave on Mandalore, Din Djarin almost died four times. Like, there's no logic at all. Anyways. I think part of that comes with, like, arrogance. Like, That's there's a very it. fine line between fear and stupidity. Like, you go jump off something really high with your friends after a few drinks. You land and it's fine. That was, that was fun. That was crazy. I can't believe we weren't too scared to do that you fall and break your ankle and you break your arm. It's you're an idiot. Um, and so there's very, I think, fine line between scary and stupid. And so when they 
aren't that fearful when they're like, no, we can handle this shit. We can handle anything. It leads them into a lot of situations that us regular, smart, logically thinking, but also very anxious human beings would perceive as stupid. Yeah. But so they go in there. Obviously, when they go in there, they find fucking Moff Gideon because they're stupid. Um, They go, they get separated as they're like going through this tunnel. But like, meanwhile, this is still what Grogu looks like. He's still mm-hmm. like an IG-11. They get separated by like a door. And Moff Gideon appears and on the one side of the door is like a couple of Mandalorians and Din. Obviously, the only one that survives is Din. Everyone else just gets murdered. And Moff Gideon's like, disarm him and take him away. And it is like, one of the saddest things I've ever seen is Grogu just like waving at Din Djarin goodbye. Because he's like, no, my dad. And then, like, it's a f- it's a good sequence. I like it. I just don't care about Paz Vizsla. So I'm like, okay. So, like, Moff Gideon is giving Bo-Katan shit because she's like, I should have killed you when I had the chance. Um, which, yeah, but you didn't. And so then Bo- Moff Gideon takes uh, Din away. Bo-Katan and Paz Vizsla come up with some fucking plan where they're like, okay, I'm going to break down this door. And try and take them out. You guys escape. And so she opens the door to like get them back out the way where they came. Where Mandalorians are shooting them in that direction as well. And Paz Vizsla's like, I got us this way. And just basically kills himself. Because he uses his gun until he can't anymore. Throws it at a guy. Knocks them all out. And then gets stabbed by like the red guys from The Last Jedi. Which I thought was great. So, like, who are those guys? Do you know? I know that they're the same three people he requested, and Hux was like, ooh, you was scared you're gonna get assassinated? Like, I know that that's the same three from the beginning of the episode, but I don't know much about the lore behind those uh, those red-suited individuals with the, the saber-esque things. But they're pretty cool. I kind of view them as, like, essentially the like a lesser version of inquisitors like yeah. non like a step up from dark troopers but a step down from inquisitors like as they're not force wielders that's kind of kind of how i'm viewing them but grogu just i i, I do think it's funny that Paz Vizsla was ba- basically did like a papa kent from man of steel and was just like no i'm going to sacrifice myself uh and just kind of did that classic like you guys go run i'll stay back classic trope redemption arc from uh oh it was also like scar or not scar um the guy in thor ragnarok uh carl urban's character um brain farting right now um scourge scourge is like bad guy the whole show bad guy bad guy bad guy redemption arc sacrifice myself for the team now i do i could see it being interesting if like he's working for the armor and the armor is in fact betraying them. No, maybe he's not dead. Um, but I, I, I think he's dead. I think he's probably dead. He, he um, fell pretty hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he's pretty dead, but like seeing Grogu so sad with like Din being struck down, it was heartbreaking, but it also made me really want like a Dragon Ball Z moment where it's like Gohan's like, Oh no, my dad died. Ah, and my hair turns yellow and I beat the shit out of everybody. Like, I kind of want that from Grogu in this last episode of like, 
Oh, oh, you're gonna take you're gonna take my dad? You're gonna take my dad? Bo, give me that damn dark saber and just Yeah, like he has the ability to use the force and he like rarely does. I'm like, you can take everybody out. You are force push these motherfuckers and close the doors. You guys can run away. Yeah, like you are force sensitive. Grogu, make it make sense. You weigh six pounds, and three of those pounds are midi-chlorians at this point. Exactly. But the end of the episode brings us Grogu and Din separated. Grogu ran off with Bo-Katan. Um, Paz Vizsla dies. And we're left just kind of in the aftermath at the end of the episode. We don't know what's going to happen for the finale. TJ, what are your... What do you hope happens after this episode? The biggest hope is that... Pedro Pascal didn't decide that he was done with this character and mm-hmm. that he's still alive after this episode. I, as much as I've loved this season's arc with multiple Mandalorians and the focus being just as much on Bo-Katan as it is Din Djarin, that would devastate me if the purpose for that was because she's his full-on replacement for the next episode, uh, the next season, and we don't we don't get him anymore. That would really suck. I do think that would lead for some very wild potential stories with Grogu in the future, but still, that's not anything uh, that I really want to mess around with. I think the potential for Thrawn to come in and thwart Thrawn, thwarts the... I couldn't think of a last thub, but that was a fun little alliteration while it lasted. Um, I could see Thrawn coming in to thwart uh, Moff Gideon's plans. That would be pretty cool. But I'm kind of... I want to know who's the mole, is it these Mandalorians who have been on Mandalore the whole time who walked them right into the forge that they knew where it still was and probably could have known that Moff Gideon was still there? Is it Axe Wolves who joins up with this squad and goes, I don't trust Death Watch, I don't trust Bo-Katan, and I, I want to hook up with Moff Gideon here and get my planet back? Is it, like, and they, and they did, that's what I kind of like, is they foreshadowed all of these different things. Oh, we will lead you right to the forge and Moff Gideon's there. Oh, these Mandalorians are honorable, honorable, but as they state in the first scene that we meet them, they can be bought for the right price. The children of the watch. They are the children of death watch, a cult, the, an extremist group in the Mandalorians who caused the purge, caused the purge of Mandalore. It was their fault for teaming up with Darth Maul that this all happened in the first place. Who Bo-Katan yeah. was of course once a part of, the leader of. And then you see on Moff Gideon in these Dark Troopers helmets, the little spikes similar to the armor as her bouncing away early. So one of those three options are the mole. I'm very interested to find out which one it is. And then the other op- the other thing I'm curious to know is who's coming in. If the day is in fact going to be saved and it's not going to be this catastrophe of something bad happening to Din Djarin, who's coming in to, the- to save the day? Is Grogu going to have a power up? Are Boba Fett and Fennec Shand going to come back? It wouldn't be outside of the plot and outside of no, like it wouldn't be out of the realm and completely out of nowhere if Ahsoka shows up. Ahsoka's hunting Thrawn. Ahsoka interacted with them in the book of Boba Fett. If Grogu uses the force and manages to reach out to Ahsoka or Luke, that I would prefer Ahsoka to Luke just so they don't do the same like, let's bring Luke in for the finale of this season too. Just so we can save the day, but if they bring in Ahsoka and and use that to set up her series, I'd be good with that too. So, is it going to be a Grogu power up? Is it going to be the Mandalorians? Does Thrawn come in and say, "Screw you, Gideon"? 
that as well as who the mole is are the two biggest things I'm interested in. I'd like a nice wrap up of a story and, and something to set up Ahsoka, but as long as Din Djarin is alive and they don't take any huge left turns that are like, we couldn't possibly have seen this coming, then I'm probably going to be happy. I like everything I think about this season. I'm like, I, I don't even know what I think would happen. If that makes sense. Like everything has kept me on my toes where I'm like, Oh, I guess I didn't even think about Moff Gideon coming back in this way or like having his counsel or any of that. So I'm like, I, I hope, I hope Pedro Vasquez was a paycheck. I want Din Djarin to stay alive. Other than that, I don't really have any, like, theories for what's going to happen in the finale. That's the thing. is like, I would... The the Rebels fan in me, which is just going crazy right now with all the goods that we got at Star Wars Celebration. And, I mean, like, I'll tilt my camera here. Obviously, you see all the Grogu goods behind me, but, like, you can see my nice Ahsoka figure here as well and uh, all my other favorites that we got cooking. I would love if Ahsoka shows up and then at the end of the episode, she's talking to Bo Katan and she's like, so where can I find Sabine? Like something like that would just like, that would make me so happy. But at the same time, I understand why they wouldn't do that because people are already complaining enough that like, this was supposed to be Din Djarin and Grogu's show and there's all these other people now. Um, and so it'd be lovely to, for Grogu to be the one who saves the day. Um, I think like that's kind of my number one hope, but if Ahsoka comes in, I, I'm never going to, uh, never going to be sad. That is my, that's my favorite character. That's, that's my girl. I, she just got announced today. We're recording this on a Thursday, on a Wednesday, Wednesday, on a Wednesday. And, uh, it got announced today that I'm going to Calgary Expo doing press for Agents of Fandom at the end of the month. And Ashley Eckstein is going to be there. And I'm so excited to see her. I met her once. And so I'm so excited to chat again and, uh, this panel is just wild. Andy Circus got announced yesterday. Um, Hayden Christensen is going to be there. James McAvoy. I'm so excited. It's wild. David Harbour. It's, it's, it's crazy. One of the wild things that I didn't realize, and this is off topic, but it's still Star Wars. All this cloning stuff is all, is all uh, obviously leading uh, to Snoke stuff. And how did Palpatine return? I had no idea Snoke was played by Andy Circus. Yeah. No clue. Learned that today. Technically... In Star Wars, twice, I think, at minimum. So cool. That guy is the, like, I, I got to go to a, a screening in New York of Let There Be Carnage, kind of right when I was getting into this industry. Shout out uh, Brandon Davis, because I was listening to an episode of Phase Zero, and he was like, hey, we got some free tickets to the screening of Let There Be Carnage in New York. Anybody want to go? And then I DM'd him, and then he sent me the tickets. It was really cool. Um, so shout out to him. But... When I was there, Andy Circus is taking fan questions and he was like, all right, who's got questions? And I got picked and I was like hyped. I got this question prepared. I was like, DC Universe, Marvel Universe with two different characters, Planet of the Apes, Lord of the Rings. Like what draws you to this type of storytelling, this fantasy, this extraterrestrial types of storytelling? And what came out of my mouth was who would win in a fight, uh, Venom or Ulysses Claw? And he was just like, uh claw and i was like fuck what why why did i just say that like i was like i got a bow i got a bow i got a bow yeah yeah exactly it was uh bad but yeah back to the mandalorian <laughs> episode seven i loved and episode eight there's a lot of i feel like 
in both of those realms in terms of who saves Ninjaran and who was the mole. I think each has kind of like three possibilities and I'm really excited to see which one plays out. Yeah, same. I think episode eight is going to be really interesting and I'm, I'm very excited to kind of see where it wraps when we get there. Um, with this though, guys, that is a wrap on episode seven, which means I have to, hold on. That means I have to sing. Uh, so, hold on. Everyone, be prepared. <clears throat> stash, 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 stash. No, wait. You're doing the wrong theme. You're doing, um, you were doing men, 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 men. I didn't even know what I was doing, but I apologies. I apologize. I tried to help and I butchered it. No, you're right. The theme is Roxy from Chicago. So it goes slash, stash, 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 on everybody's lips is gonna be Petros. I got there. You crushed it. But I got there. You crushed it. I will go first so you can see kind of how stash of the week goes. My stash pick of the week comes from um, the Esquire interview that Pedro Pascal did, where he's laying on a couch with a dog. Um, it's a beautiful shot. There's a dog in it. And it's just genuinely a great photo shoot. It was really hard to pick a good pick. And yet I did it. This picture rules. I love this dog so much. He's so old. And yeah, great stash, great vibe. So TJ, for you. You picked a great one. You picked a meme, as it were. You picked this shot from a terrible way to massive talent. Tell the viewers why. So this is a very, some backstory for everyone. This is a very important movie in my life because it really, it it opened my eyes. You know, I've I've always been a, a fan of Pedro Pascal's work. He's just, he's, he's, he's a, he's a handsome man. He's an incredible talent. But I didn't quite understand the obsession, you know. Uh, Agents of Fandom's own Layla, she is probably Pedro Pascal's number one fan. If it isn't, uh, if it isn't Rachel, um, and so obviously you know this as well, Rachel. Like there's there's a charisma, something that just makes you adore this man. And I finally understood it in the unbearable weight of massive talent, the way he was looking at. Nick Cage is the way I was looking at him throughout this movie. Not only did I just think he was the cutest human being on the planet, but it also made my wife and I decide that, you know, we, we got two, we got two dogs. We got a cat, Sonic shadow and Obi-Wan. I'm cat sitting right now. Oz, my, uh, my sister-in-law and their partner's cat right now. So there's a lot of animals in the house, but we still decided, you know, we need another cat. You know why? Because we need a cat named Javi. We need yeah. a cat named Javi. And we're now considering adding another cat to the household just so that we could have a little Javi. Good. That's, listen, I love that because I love the unbearable way to mess talent for multiple reasons. One being I love Nick Cage. The other being I love Pedro Pascal. So I, I concur. <laughs> Get you a cat name out. For a number of reasons. The Number main reason. character and the, and the next other. main character. <laughs> yep, it's all you need. Um, 
Paddington too. Guys, that was episode seven of The Mandalorian. Uh, TJ, tell the people where they can find you. So you can find me on all the socials, TJ underscore Zwarich5, Z-W-A-R-Y-C-H-5. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really, you don't need to follow me. I'm boring. I, all I do is repost the Agents of Fandom. Follow the Agents of Fandom. We had do, we're doing so much incredible stuff right now from the TV industry, film industry, gaming, diving into sports and music now. But we're, we got multiple podcasts on the podcast network, mm-hmm. including the Agents of Fandom podcast hosted by myself and Garrett, who Rachel has been on a few times. Um, we got Fandom Academy hosted by Layla, CJ, and Jaden. Listen 3000, Ticket to Reality, where we talk about reality TV um the critics breaking down all the new blockbuster movies and all these great stuff that's available wherever you get your podcast so make sure you check that out and the agents of fandom are on all the socials at agents of fandom except for twitter it's at agents fandom and then it's agents of fandom.com and yeah check us out we've been we've been building quick we're trying to trying to do things the right way and uh not just be a clickbait site and so we use inspirations like the Mary Sue and like our friends at comicbook.com um, as kind of uh, our people we, we aspire to be like. And so it's been a, a wild journey so far. We're growing really quick and make sure to check it out. Make sure to check it out. I love them over there. I'm Rachel Leishman. You can follow me at, at Rachel Leishman on Twitter at Rachel underscore Leishman on Instagram. Read my work on the Mary Sue and Collider. Um, you can follow the podcast at Padre Pascal everywhere. Like, rate, review, subscribe, tweet at us, tell us what you want to see. Um, and until next time, bye bye.